Welcome to Charlotte Reader's Podcast, where authors give voice to their written words. This is the show that features stories and poems by local and regional authors, the kinds that touch the emotions, followed by conversations that offer depth and insight into the readings and writing lives of the authors. We record this show in the well-equipped podcast studio at Advent Coworking, located right here in the Belmont community near Uptown Charlotte. Support for Charlotte Reader's Podcast is provided by Park Road Books, the oldest and only independent bookstore in Charlotte, conveniently located in Park Road Shopping Center. And by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence. For more information about these book-minded sponsors who help authors give voice to their written words, please visit them online at parkroadbooks.com and cmlibrary.org or drop by the bookstore or any library branch. Support is also provided by members like you, and for that, we offer our gratitude along with some awesome member-only content. You can find out more about these member benefits at charlottereaderspodcast.com. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the stories. I'm your host, Landis Wade. Thank you for listening. In today's live podcast episode event here at Main Street Books, we meet Cynthia Newberry Martin, author of Title Flats, a novel where marriage is at the heart of the story and where conflicting choices can undermine the union. Rebecca Mackay, author of The Great Believer, says that Cynthia Newberry Martin is a tremendous writer with a Wolfian talent for taking the full measure of small moments. Joshua Moore, author of Sirens in Damascus, aptly notes that the novel swirls with light and love. In chapter one, Cass and Ethan are nearing the end of their first three years of marriage. With a three-year pact they made to start their marriage, the Title Flats Agreement is ever-present and about to complicate their lives. Thank you to Main Street Books for hosting this live event and to owner Ada Fitzgerald for this wonderful literary space in the heart of Davidson where both the author and host, me, went to college. (laughs) To start the show, Cynthia reads from the preface where we learn about the agreement where Ethan agrees that after three years of marriage, he will give up his photojournalist days in Afghanistan and will accept her decision not to have children if that is still her desire. The words husband and wife, Cass said, those words change things. They're just words, Ethan said. They're possessive. But I want you to possess me, he said, right this minute. He rubbed his head back against hers at the same time that he reached his hands behind him and grabbed her hips. What if I hadn't found you? What if I hadn't found you, she said. Husband and wife aren't possessive words, he said. They're belonging words. They mean we each have a place in the world where we belong. She closed her eyes. The possibility of belonging was at the same time too much and still not enough. She opened her eyes and saw houses, the shoreline, the monument, and the library guarding the town. What do you see your way, she asked. A lighthouse, the marsh, uninhabited land. His bones to her bones. She'd been alone all her life, it sometimes seemed. She knew alone. She could control it. This new country, shining off in the distance, scared her, even as it drew her toward it. How about this, he said. For three years, I'll keep going back and forth to Afghanistan, and you'll work on imagining our family. After three years, no more Afghanistan. I'll limit travel to one night, maybe two, 
and if you don't change your mind about a baby, then we won't have any. I get what I want first, but you get what you want forever. An agreement, she breathed out. The agreement felt safe. It made a space for each of them. She turned to face him, this man who understood her as no one ever had. Even she hadn't thought of planning for love. It may always be just the two of us, he said, but it will be the two of us. And this was more than she could resist. She leaned over and kissed him. He kissed the top of her head. We need a name, she said. A name? For the agreement, to make it real. It's already real, he said. But she knew the power of words. We're out here in the middle of this space that is sometimes water and sometimes sand. Is there a name for out here? Tidal Flats, he said, and looked at her. The Tidal Flats Agreement, she said. And he held out his little finger, which she hooked with hers. Then he pulled her to him and kissed her and asked her to spend the rest of her life with him. They helped each other stand and continued on. Up ahead, she was surprised to see that the rocks veered quite dramatically to the left. When they'd started out, it had looked like a straight shot. Cynthia Newberry Martin writes about marriage, about how characters navigate between separateness and togetherness, about how they balance the need for both time to themselves and time together, about what compromise does to a person's sense of self. Tidal Flass is her first published novel, but she's written two other novels that received awards, which she says appear in drawers, not stores. Her early stories, essays, and reviews appeared in Hunger Mountain, Brevity, Gargoyle, Country Magazine, Clapboard House, Story, Glossia, and Numero Sync. Cynthia holds an MFA from Vermont College of Fine Arts and has served as the review editor of Country Magazine and the writing life editor for Hunger Mountain. Her website features the How We Spend Our Days series, over a decade of essays by writers on their lives. She grew up in Atlanta and now lives in Columbus, Georgia, with her husband and in Provincetown, Massachusetts, and a little house by the water, her favorite place on earth. Host Landis Wade is committed to making this podcast worth your time. He's a recovering trial lawyer, award-winning author, book and dog lover, whose laid-back style encourages authors to read and talk about their published and emerging works. You can listen to this show for free at charlottereaderspodcast.com or at Charlotte Mecklenburg Library's Digital Branch website. And you can subscribe and listen for free on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Show notes of this episode with images, links, and information about the authors are available at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Cindy, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's nice to be Isn't here. Isn't nice to be in a live podcast? It yeah. is. Yeah, well, we got an attentive <laughs> audience and a band next door. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're going we're gonna to have the drive-by truckers coming through here in a little bit, yeah. So uh, let's talk about your happy place first, Provincetown, Massachusetts. Describe this place for us, and why is it special to you? Provincetown is a town on the, at the very tip of Cape Cod, so it's surrounded by, on three sides by water. Almost an island, but not quite. And uh, it's a also very artisty. It's a, a haven for artists. There's the Fine Arts Work Center, 
where lots of writers and visual artists go mm -hmm. to study. Mm -hmm. And walking down the streets, it's almost like being in a museum. There's so many uh, galleries to, mm -hmm. to look at. I got this vision that maybe Tottle Flats came to you as you were walking along the shoreline somewhere in Provincetown? Yes, looking okay. at it constantly, okay. constantly. There's a feeling of being, um, of being that every we're all in this together. People can be whoever they are there. It's wonderful. So you spent a lot of your time there, your other time in Atlanta, right? Columbus, actually, uh, in Columbus. south, of, okay. south okay. of Atlanta. So when did you sort of decide to, to divorce, divorce yourself <laughs> from your part of the life that you had in Columbus to live more in Provincetown? Well, I don't actually think of it that way. You don't, you don't, no, I think of it two, more two as yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a marriage expanding. Okay. So right. that's uh, so I was lucky One that of those it expanded. Open, mar open marriages, right? Yeah. No, right? no. <laughs> <laughs> expanding. <laughs> expanding marriage. Okay, what's your definition, not mine? Right. So let's talk about another happy place for a minute. We're back here in Davidson, Davidson College. Uh, you and I were in school here in the late seventies. Ada Fitzgerald, the owner, happened to tell us that she graduated much later than that, <laughs> and, and she went there too. But, uh, you know, what's odd is we didn't run into each other, and we only had like two or 300 people, but you were hanging out in the French department, right? I was hanging out, I in, was the not hanging out in the French department. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what about Davison was special to you, and did you ever think that one day you'd be back here having written a book and uh, in front of people that actually want to hear what you have to say about your written book? I did not. Yeah. I had absolutely zero aspirations yeah. toward writing really? when I was here. I loved French, French, and French. Okay. All yes. Right. I love French fries, but that's enough. <laughs> I have to go with that. You write about marriage. Now, you could have chosen anything to write about. Why write about marriage? Well, it's said that for a good story, you need conflict. Sure. And you can certainly find lots of opportunities for conflict in a marriage. Now, your husband's here, right? Yeah. That's right. Okay, but you're still sticking to your story. Right? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. And I was actually married uh, a, a long time ago, okay. a very long time ago. I was going to ask you if you're going to talk about your own experiences. Yeah. <laughs> and you did tell me that you had two perspectives on that, right? I do. So yeah. the first marriage was short and easy. Right, right. And the second one has been long and hard, <laughs> but it's still going. It's still so going. it's something to that. Something yeah, to that. So, uh, so um, the original title for your book was not what I think is a great title, Title Flats. It was something else entirely. It oh. was. Uh, when the first thing I knew about this book, um, while I was kind of taking a break for writing, uh, it came to me, three, three ideas, three things came to me at one time. And one was a title, and it was All's Fair, mm -hmm. which, of course, it's not. But that's not true. No. <laughs> <laughs> in, in marriage, it's all, it's all fair, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And so you got away from that title, and you, you settled on this. Uh, but you told me a little, bit, a little story about how you were on an airplane, you were going somewhere, and kind of this idea of the setting popped Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So uh, the other two things I knew about the book when I was getting to the airplane was that um, uh, I knew that I had the All's Fair title, I knew that it was going to be about a marriage, and I knew that one of the main characters 
would have something to do with uh, Vietnam or Afghanistan. I thought I knew this because this mm. is all I had. So I hadn't written a word of the novel. I was headed to Provincetown to start writing. Mm. And I could see up ahead of me that there was um, a man who was going to be sitting next to me, and he was wearing a mask, a surgical mask. And it turns out that he was a uh, documentary filmmaker, and he was wearing the mask because he was exhausted by traveling for three days home from Kabul uh, by way of Dubai, mm, and neat. he spent the whole flight talking to me about Afghanistan, and that, that, and that was it. Planted that seed. Well, yeah. writing kind of like marriage is not always a straight line from start to finish. You even allude to that at the end of your first read where you said the rocks veered quite dramatically to the left, and it had looked like a straight shot when she first got there. So in, 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 do you study marriages? I mean, is that do you – I mean, how do you pick up you, – I mean, you don't get all these ideas just from your – Husband, right? <laughs> I did not. <laughs> okay. I mean, you must read other books about marriage. I do. You know, I love know? books about marriage. Okay. Adore books uh, about marriage. I mean, you've already talked about the conflict part, but but in writing this book, you took a lot of different paths to get to what you finally settled on, right? I mean, you you started in one direction, but you it, is that have you had that experience when you're writing? Maybe you start one place, but then you end up in another. And did your characters end up where you thought they would? When you first started writing this book? I actually had no expectations okay. about right. where the book would end up. I wanted to see if uh, Ethan and Cass could work it out, mm. wanting the two different things. Right. So I had, I had no expectations, so I just would write, and, and that would determine uh, the way it was going. Well, let's talk about this uh, setting for just a minute, because I think Afghanistan. So you've got the book. They're, they're at Title Flats. Their marriage is going to start out with this three-year pact, this agreement. Uh, we're going to talk about, you know, careers and choices in a minute. But he's a photographer, and he's a really excellent photographer, but he goes into these war zones in Afghanistan, and that's where he's going. And you've got a little read here where Cass uh, is, I think, reflecting back on a video. But talk about sort of what's in the video and who this character is that's going to appear in the video, whose name is Satara. Yes. Satara is the subject of Ethan's most famous photograph. She was, it's actually kind of um, a take on the famous Afghan girl photo. But in the book, it's the Afghan woman photo. And Satara is the Afghan woman. And after the photo, she becomes Ethan's business partner because she's out there in Afghanistan on the streets fighting for women's rights. Mm. So, so he's that's go- who she is. He's gone. She's reflecting. Uh, there's this YouTube video. You've got a little read here where she reflects, and then there's the video, and then she reflects again. Could you share that with us? Sure. And uh, this is uh, uh, Cass watches this video. She Googles Ethan the first time after he leaves to go to Afghanistan. And there he was, Ethan, younger, beautiful himself, and Ethan before she knew him, thinner and lit by wonder, sitting and talking to a reporter. I was in Kabul with my fixer, Bakir. We were headed down a hallway, on our way out of a university. Sunlight from a high window fell on a group of teachers wearing these amazing, colorful scarves. It's not easy to get photos of women, and Bakir was already retrieving my camera when I turned for it. I was cautious 
Some of the teachers moved off to the side, but there was one woman in the back next to a faded black wall who did not turn toward me and yet seemed to be drawing me toward her. Shot after shot in every photo, only her silvery gray back frosted in midnight blue. Satara would have stood out anyway, but by not facing me from the beginning, it became a kind of hunt, I guess. So I inched my way in, getting closer and closer to the wall, still shooting. When there was nothing in my lens other than her dark blue shayla, she turned, and there were those starlight amber eyes, her scarf even then only a nod at covering her obsidian black hair, and there was such power in that. Her eyebrows, only a frame for those eyes. I have to say, my camera fell away from my face. Cass never Googled Satara again. She was always there between them anyway. She didn't need to go searching for her. All right, so we got a little hint, uh, maybe at a little jealousy here. We're going to come back to that theme <laughs> later, later uh, in the book and in this podcast. But before we before we do that... Um, let's talk just a minute about what you chose to focus on in this book in marriage. You could have chosen all kind of things. You could have chosen abuse, addiction, boredom. Uh, you could have chosen happiness. You know, you could have chosen lots of different things. You chose to focus on the needs and desires of people in relationship, their career choices and their feelings about children and how love kind of envelops the two or doesn't? Uh, why did you choose to talk about those two things? The f- Two reasons, really. The first one is that I was looking for a passion that was black and white because I wanted them to be diametrically opposed on something. And the second reason is that I think that we don't talk about whether or not to have children enough. It's a given in a lot of places. And so I thought, well, this would be an opportunity to put it out there for conversation. And the diametrically opposed is that early in the book, she doesn't want to have children. Ethan does. There's a reason she doesn't. We don't learn about that until later in the book. But she is committed to that idea, and he's committed to letting her have that after three years. After three years. Right. He's also committed to giving up Afghanistan, which is his career. Which and he, his love. And his love. And so we've got this scene here that's going to lead, read into this next reading. Um, Cass doesn't want him to be in Afghanistan. She wants him to give that up. But I, I think he, she's thinking if she does, she's going to take a part of him away and she doesn't want something less than the whole is that right I think that's good okay good well I didn't write it you wrote it but so (laughs) anyway could you so Ethan says although she doesn't necessarily believe him that love is enough and she's not sure could you share this reading with us sure so Cass and Ethan are in bed it's nighttime, and she can't sleep and as so often the case in marriage if one person can't sleep, neither can the other one. So she gets up and is staring out the window. Someone's going to have to give up too much, Cass said. I don't know what we were thinking. Ethan came up behind her and rested his chin on her shoulder, not leaning against her, not touching her anywhere else, 
just the bony part of his chin to the bony part of her shoulder. We were thinking we were worth fighting for, he said. I'm afraid. Of what, babe? His words brushed her ear. Tell me. She wasn't sure she could say it. Through the top corner of the window, she looked straight at the moon. I don't want to be the woman who stopped you from going. He lifted his chin. You're not stopping me. It's my choice. I choose you. And he kissed her neck and trailed his mouth along her skin. She turned to him. I'm afraid the agreement kills the clearest, strongest part of you. He took a step away, then turned back to her as she knew he would. Without you, this me disappears. Besides, he said, opening his hands, we may not have even gotten to the clearest, strongest part yet of either of us. We want different things, she said. We want each other, he said. She was still unsettled and turned back to the window, but he turned her back to him. This is middle of the night talk. You need something else to think about. And with one arm, he tightened his grip around her waist and held her close. With his other hand, he began to tuck strands of her hair behind her ear. When his fingers came close to her face again for what she thought would be another strand, instead, with one finger, he started at her middle part and traced a line down her forehead, her nose, landing above her lips, parting her lips, backtracking to her tongue, and pausing before he continued the same slow motion down her chin, her neck, her chest, stopping between her breasts, cracking her open. Then he moved his whole hand sideways. What are you doing, she whispered. Searching for your heart, he said, surprising her. Love is not the answer to everything, she said, but her knees gave way, gave her away. He held her tighter, supported her. Yes, he said, it is. Wonderful writing, by the way. That was a great scene. Um, Thank you. The This idea that um, she wants him to herself, but she wants him to have what makes him happy too, are those irreconcilable? Uh, are they solvable? Without telling them what happens at the end of the book here. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> that's, that's, that's good, isn't it? We're not going to give it all away, right? But in real life, I mean, these are issues that uh, people deal with all the time, and you've been studying this and thinking about it. Um, how do people navigate these choices and stay married? Some people don't stay married. Mm. And a lot of talking and working things out and experimenting and thinking outside the box mm. is what I've seen. Sometimes, and this might be an unfair question to ask about this since you've got a child in the audience and your husband in the audience, but people sometimes ask writers, is there some of you in the book? You know, uh, which, which character is you or which, you know, which scene was brought from your own life? Is there anything like that in this book? Cindy? I would imagine that there's a little piece of me in each of the characters. Okay. 
the good parts, right? Right. And for example, <laughs> I don't like basketball, and neither okay. does the main character. <laughs> okay. I guess so, I shouldn't say that here so, in uh, uh, yeah, well, Davidson country. I don't know that we're having a great season this year, but uh, you can say it. You can say it. Uh, all right, so this is not going to be a therapy session. Um, marriage does involve conflict and issues of trust and fidelity. And we're going to get back to Satara, right? With this next scene, you want to set up this next scene. We've got an international video call, and then after this scene, we're going to take our short break, and then we'll come back, do some writing life and some other things. But we're we're now at a scene where she is because he he's having to go back and forth. This the company, he's choosing to go back and forth. Okay, he's choosing. Well, this company is wanting to send him back and <laughs> forth, and he's obliging them, right? Yes. Okay, so he's over there, and she's over here. And they're having a conference call. Right. And the clock is ticking. Uh, The book opens nine weeks before their anniversary when he's promised to stop going to Afghanistan. So we're getting closer and closer to that moment. And he is actually in Afghanistan now. And so they're, like you said, and so they're Skyping. Yeah. One of the things we hadn't said is, and we can't cover everything in the book, but while while we're approaching this three-year mark as well, she's also having... She's questioning herself about her own decision not to have children, right? And asking herself whether that's the right decision or the wrong decision. And she wants Ethan to be a part of that discussion, but he's not there because he's in Afghanistan. So she's having to do all this introspectively, right? Correct. And we find out why. We won't tell them why. They can buy the book, find out. Anyway, read read, uh, this uh, section if you would. We've been cooped up here since we arrived, Ethan said. Gunfire all around the city. Her body tensed. Gunfire? The spring season of fighting began earlier than expected. We haven't been able to get out there with the cameras yet. I'm not sure when we can. I may need to stay longer than I thought. She exhaled and sat back in her chair, causing a creak that sounded as if the chair were about to break. E, you say you don't want anything between us, but you keep putting things there. I don't need to worry about the baby thing. You'll never give up Afghanistan, will you? Cass, I... But before he could finish his sentence, behind him, the door opened, and there was Satara, wrapped in a towel. Long, dark hair, shimmering over bare arms, bare legs, Ethan turning at the sound of the door, those famous eyes, sparkling amber jewels, looking straight at Cass, eyes that took what they wanted, eyes that apologized for nothing. The video disappeared, as if Satara and Ethan had suddenly vanished from Earth. Satara and Ethan. Cass shivered. Staying small, she closed her computer, although there was no need. He was gone. She ticked forward ever so slightly, turned off her cell, and unplugged the landline. She was no longer in this room, but locked away in a childhood room where she sat waiting for the prince, who wasn't there, to somehow magically save her. In her hard-backed desk chair, she waited, while the light went from blurry to impossible to dark and deep. So Ethan's in trouble. (laughs) (laughs) And you sort of laid it on us here... uh, almost not fair we've already got these other issues to deal with and suddenly now you've added this to the mix right correct so we don't there's no way possible they're going to make this work right 
I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, look, when we come back uh, from our short break, we're going to have a few more readings. Uh, we're going to get into uh, some more uh, traumatic events uh, in this marriage between Cass and Ethan and find out whether it's possible that they can uh, make it work. We're going to have the Writing Life segment. We're going to have a final re- We're also going to have some time for the uh, audience here to ask a few questions. And then we'll have the a sort of a final read uh, that'll leave you hanging. Okay, so stay with us, please. Hey, listeners, I'm here with uh, Ada Fitzgerald. She's the owner of Main Street Books. Uh, Ada, I'm having a great time tonight uh, with this live podcast. Thanks for having us up here. Our pleasure. It is a great bookstore. And uh, tell us about this thing you told me called Windows and Mirrors. Windows and Mirrors is the way that I um, choose books for the store. I want the books that we carry to be mirrors. I want folks to come in and see themselves in the Mm, stories. And I want our books to be windows into other worlds. So they take you places you haven't been and introduce you to people that you haven't met to build empathy. Yeah, and you came to the store five years ago. You're coming up on your fifth anniversary, right? That's right. And the store's been here, though, since what? 1987. 1987. And you're doing a lot of creative things here. You told me about this idea you, you got called Matchbox. Tell us about that. Matchbox is our monthly book box. So a couple of our booksellers ask our subscribers some questions about their reading life and handpick a book for each subscriber that they think will really feed their soul. That's great. And you got book clubs here? We've got a couple of book clubs, Main Street Readers and our Well-Read Black Girl Book Club, which is part of a national movement. And writing clubs, you don't discriminate against the writers. (laughs) No, they come (laughs) once a month for workshopping and every quarter or so for open mic. But you're only open seven days a week. We are only open seven days a week, 10 to 6. 10 to 7, Friday and Saturday, and 12 to 4 on Sunday. Right. And if I'm in Davidson and I'm looking to buy a book, where should I? Where should you I should come? head to Main Street Books. Okay. Well, now we got to head back to finish this episode to see what's going to happen in the book Title Flats. Uh, so, hey, thanks for sitting down with me. Thank you. Our pleasure. I'm back here with uh, author Cynthia Newberry-Martin, uh, author of Title Flats, uh, which uh, Pam Houston, author of Deep Creek, Finding Hope in the High Country, says this book is stunning heart-expanding debut. And we've been talking about marriage. We've been reading some scenes. Um, Cindy, we have, as I said before the break, you sort of started piling it on, and we got all these things that are sort of squeezing on these people and determine where they're going to make it and make this marriage work. Um, But then something else happens that we can't blame Ethan for, right? Correct. Right. Um, What happens? Shall I read this? Oh, yeah, why don't you read it? Yeah, that'd be, good. that'd be a good way to tell him what happens. <laughs> okay. Let's don't hold him in suspense any longer. All right. And he's in Afghanistan. So he's gone back yet again to Afghanistan. Yeah. And uh, the Cass is asleep in bed again, and the phone rings in the middle of the night. And it's the deputy ambassador calling from the U.S. Embassy in Afghanistan. The provincial security chief of Bamian Promise province reported him missing a couple of hours ago. We have confirmed he is not at the boarding house where he was staying. She turned on the light, squinting at its abruptness, too bright and not bright enough. She grabbed a pen. We will call again when we have more information. Wait, she said. Can we set a time you'll call back? Just a moment. The muffled voices, two, maybe three, speaking a language she didn't understand. We're closer to Ethan than she was. 
We will call again in three hours. She looked at the clock, 5.15 a.m. She asked for a name and a number. Don't go, she wanted to say, but there was the click and the dial tone, the sound of no one. Now that she'd hung up, it was quiet again. If she turned out the light, lay down, and went back to sleep, except for the scribbling on the pad beside her, everything in this room would be the same. She stood, then she sat again. She pinched her arm to see if she could feel it. She was supposed to do something if this happened, but she couldn't remember what. Thank. Wheeler. He answered as if he'd been waiting for the phone to ring. Ethan, she started to say. Cass, Wheeler, he's missing. Jesus, the embassy said they'd notified the State Department and that they'd call back in three hours. All right, so what enough just to have conflict in marriage? You got to throw a little suspense in here too, right? Well, it's <laughs> Afghanistan. It is Afghanistan, <laughs> right. So he's got to get out of that jam possibly if he can, and then he's got to get out of the jam he's created from the video conference call, and then he got to solve all these other problems all before the end of the book, right? That's right. <laughs> okay. All right, well, let's do this. Let's do the writing life segment for a second. This is where um, this is a part of the show where I ask you questions that you don't know what I'm going to ask. Uh, we did a little prep for the other, but none for this. Does that make you feel comfortable? You relax now? Yeah. <laughs> I'm relaxed. Uh, okay, good. So I'm going to start with the uh, easy one. You, you told me you had this thing called uh, books in drawers, not in stores. Uh, flesh that out. Okay, so I've been writing for 20 years, so I have other novels. So I actually have three other novels, and they are literally in drawers. And um, I recently read through them back in 2018, and I like two of and but one, not so much. Okay. Yeah. Right. Are you, is the idea that once this one becomes a blockbuster, you'll do like John Grisham and then go back and, and make the That's other? That's the idea, okay, okay, definitely, right. yes. <laughs> Uh, let's talk about the cover just a second. It's a beautiful cover. They can't see it in audio land except the live audience can see it. It's got a nice blue cover. you got waves pounding on rocks probably somewhere near where you, your happy place is, right? In Provincetown, yeah. yes. Yeah. Tell us the story of the title. I think it's a great – I mean the, the cover. I think it's a great story. We had – one of the benefits – Title Flats was published by Bonamy Press, which is a small press in California. And one of the benefits of a small press is that you have more say in, in all the things that happen with your book. So the publisher and I had been talking back and forth and sending back uh, possible covers back and forth for about six weeks. And they were good, but nothing was really grabbing us. And so one day we just looked at the most recent round, and she said, you know what? We need to get some millennials involved in this. Well, and I thought... Anything that involves <laughs> graphics, yes. Uh, get the millennials involved. And I thought, well, I know millennials. I have four children. <laughs> and so one of them is actually... You, you Snapchatted him, right? Yeah. <laughs> I did not Snapchat him. <laughs> One of them is actually a graphic designer. Okay. Hey. And I, I, I called him on the telephone. <laughs> okay. You mean this thing, uh, this thing that is also a telephone? Actually, yeah. yes. Okay. And uh, so he, that night he said, sure, I'll, I'll try. And so that night he stayed up till 4.30 in the morning and came up with eight different covers and sent them to me. I sent them on to my publisher, but I knew which one was my favorite. We talked about it. We both agreed that 
this one was the our favorite. So she took the best one we had before Jack got involved, and then she took this one, and she went to the distributor, the person who gets the books out into the bookstore, PGW Ingram, and let them choose, and they chose Jack's design. Yeah, that's, that's a great story. And, and what's Jack's take on what Ada's going to sell tonight out of these books? He's going to get a little percentage, right? <laughs> Actually, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you're, you're still in control, right? Yeah, maybe. All right, so um, because really that is true. A lot of times you don't have any control over the cover, even, even with some small press, but, but for them to take his work, and glad they did. Um, you have these... Uh, books and drawers so you've been writing for many years you you've written a lot you must have some kind of routine do you have a routine even if it's not a routine (laughs) well at the very beginning when I started writing it was like I'd light my special candle with the Mm -hmm. enlightenment scent and I would go to my desk first thing in the morning and everything was quiet and I would uh, work for as long as possible um I never wrote in the afternoon, never wrote at night. Uh, Are you one of these morning writers or evening writers? Or? Well, I, I started out as the morning writer. and But now, after this many years, I can write any place, any time, candle or no candle. Okay, good. Uh, yeah, so yeah. now it has kind of devolved into no routine. Okay. Um, and you've been involved now with editors. Do you like that process? I love it. You do? So what do you like more, putting it down on paper first or going back and cleaning it up? Mm. Again, a difference between when I started and now. When I first started writing, I hated the part about getting that first draft on the page. It was painful. Uh, And I loved revising, being Mm. an attorney as well. You know, I love marking things up. My left brain is quite strong. Um, But... As time has gone on and I see how rare a process the creative part is of the beginning getting the story on the page, that has become the, the part that I love, that mm-hmm. I adore. Well, you, your, your book is somewhat poetic, very uh, lyrical, but you're building in this conflict, this suspense. Do you come at something like this um, with the idea of a character first or the idea of a theme first or a plot or none of the above what do you where do you start this particular book is a little different because like I said I had those three ideas that came first Mm -hmm. and that's all I had to start with and then from that came the characters and actually Ethan came first because of meeting the photojournal the documentary uh, on the filmmaker on the airplane but normally, like I've just started something new, mm. like a few weeks ago, mm. and it's the character. It's the characters first. So you find the character, and you, you create these issues, and then you try to solve these issues. Right. Now, you and did this book, you actually did, you had five parts to the book. I was curious about that. You had these uh, different sections. Um, you started out with... Uh, I can find it here with my little tab, love, okay? Yeah. Started off with love, right? <laughs> you got a pact, we're going to get married, but then there's emptiness and so forth. Did these, did you have that structure in mind when you started, or did you come back 
and create that structure. Yeah, no, that was after the fact. That was after the the story was on the page. And mm -hmm. one of the things I found when I was working with Afghanistan is uh, the poet Rumi. And so I was reading Rumi all the time. And it couldn't help but pour into this mm -hmm. novel. So. Mm -hmm. So I did some of this in uh, my early seasons. I had some fill-in-the-blanks and some either-or questions. I'm going to ask you some fill-in-the-blank questions here. The first time I felt like I could call myself a writer was when? I went to a writing workshop. Okay. How long ago was that? 1999. Oh, okay. What was your most memorable public event as a writer other than being here tonight in Ada's bookstore at Main Street Books? Say that again. I didn't get the first <laughs> Your most one. memorable public event as a writer. Oh, we had a great time. Um, okay, well, I started to say one thing, but I'm yeah. changing midstream. Change, change, yeah. Uh, being on um, Georgia uh, public broadcasting. Okay. Yeah, yeah. That, was, that was exciting. Um, not as good as Charlotte's podcast, but not as okay. good, but really right. close, right up there. <laughs> All right, the vices and activities that interfere with my writing include watching Acorn TV at night. If I could tell my younger writing self something very helpful, it would be what? I was writing for twenty years. I told myself everything out there that is, there is to tell somebody. And so I would repeat those things that I told myself, like, what are you going to do? Stop writing just because you don't have a book published? So I'm, I'm, I'm taking this Julia Cameron artist way, and the, the, she's all about affirmations. I'm a great writer. I can do this. Yada, do you get up and tell yourself that? I don't. Okay. No. <laughs> Mainly what I say to myself <laughs> is you don't have to know yet. Okay. What was the best money you ever spent? As a writer? Uh, New York State Summer Writers Workshop hmm. lasted for like two weeks back when the kids were little and my husband took over. If I was going to hire a detective to go find your muse, where would I find your muse? Provincetown. Provincetown? Yeah. Okay, no good. need to hire the detective. Okay. All right. How do you balance writing with the rest of your life? I don't think I do. Hmm. I think it's... Is that going to be the next book? <laughs> on marriage <laughs> conflict <laughs> yeah alright well look uh, just a couple one more final, and then audience be thanking because I'm going to turn it over we, we can let y'all ask some questions here too then we're going to have one final read here but um, I want to I know what Cass and Ethan were searching for in their lives in this book what were they searching for I think they're searching for a way to be together Hmm. And what do you search for in your writing? Mm, probably me. Hmm. All right, so does the audience have any questions you'd like to ask? Uh, we can either come to the mic and ask them, or you can shout them out and I'll repeat them. If you've got a question, uh, just uh, let me know. And if, uh, if you don't, I'll keep talking. But uh, anybody got any questions? So there's a point midway through the book when... Uh, Ethan comes back. It's one of the first couple times that he comes back from Afghanistan. And he kind of comes up the escalator and he has a beard. And I think to anyone else that was talking to Cass, that would be a non-noteworthy thing for him to come back with. But to her, it kind of lingers on her mind for a really long time and kind of takes over. Why is that? Well, uh, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, 
the beard is part of Ethan's uh, persona in Afghanistan. He wears Afghan clothes. He grows all the facial hair he can grow. And he wants to blend in and not draw attention to himself. And he always, over the three years, he always shaves the beard off before he gets to see Cass at the airport. So Cass is unsure at this point whether he's actually going to give up Afghanistan. And to see him come up the escalator with that beard just is like, just gets her in the heart. It's troubling. So Cass works at a home for elderly women called Howell House. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about the three women that live there, the fates, and what inspired you as you created their characters. Sure. Um, also a great question. The, when I was, um, Cass first started uh, by reading to the women at Howell House. And so I just had one woman to start with. And then that just kind of uh, became a bigger thread throughout the book. And so uh, when I thought about it in my head, to me, this book is all about threes. There are three places where it takes place, the three years that Ethan is gone, um, the uh, all kinds of threes. And so it came to me that there would be three women at this house. My parents were aging and not aging well, and there didn't seem to be good solutions for that. And so I thought a solution would be a real house, not a high-rise and not um, anything that was like a hospital, but a real home, somebody's real house. And so uh, we, there were three women who lived there in this house, and it was like a home. There was, um, you know, bedrooms, kitchens, living rooms, that kind of thing. And I thought, okay, three. So the first thing that came to mind were um, Macbeth's witches. <laughs> I thought, I don't want to go there. And so then I thought of the three fates. And so uh, that actually becomes their nickname, uh, the fates. And so I put uh, knitting needles in one of their hands. I put measuring implements uh, in the other one. And what is the other one? Oh, scissors in the last one's hands. And their names each start, I'm not going to be able to come up with it here, but uh, the same letters as the Greek fates. Like there's, there's May and Ada and Lois. So uh, that corresponds to their... Um, what they to the Greek fates. Yeah, and we didn't, uh, thank you for that question. We didn't um, actually cover that. I wasn't sure we would have time, but I'm glad we got to that. There was a scene in the book, May is one of those characters where she's, where she's dying. She's lost her husband. Your main character, protagonist, Cass, is reading to her on her deathbed, and there's this whole question about whether or not her husband is still with her or not, and she has sort of a revelation that he has never actually left her. Right. That's right. Yeah. So any other questions? Anybody got any more questions before we, uh, yeah, come on up. What kind of research did you do to convincingly write about Ethan's life and career in Afghanistan? Sure. That's, yeah. Um, so I, I started, I had that great start with the documentary filmmaker on the airplane, and we kept up a conversation throughout the writing of this book. 
we would get on the phone. At one point, he actually put his wife on the phone or asked his wife to get on the phone as well so that because she's like the cast figure. And I, the novel is written in Cass's point of view, so I didn't feel like I actually needed to go to Afghanistan. So I would watch videos, I would watch clips, I read, 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 uh, and lots of Rumi, like I mentioned. Uh, but I thought it felt to me okay uh, because Cass is learning about Afghanistan from Ethan. So it felt okay for me to be learning about Afghanistan from the filmmaker. So that was the main research, although I just spent hours and hours and days and weeks and still, I, you know, F newspapers, uh, videos, and everything. So that's how I did it. Thank you. And you can get a lot from watching a video. You can actually feel like you're there. You actually have a short epigraph in the front of the book from Rumi. Right? That's, yeah. that's right. Any other questions? Anybody got any more questions? Uh, you got a question? Yeah. Do you have any authors or books that you're excited to share with us that we might not be, not, might not be on our radar? Absolutely. I just read the best book. I'm so excited about it. When I was at a conference in the fall, I got an ARC for Lily King's new book, Writers and Lovers. It'll be out March 3rd. It's the best book I've read in I don't know how long. It's just, and oddly enough, um, the main character is a writer. And um, Cass started out as a writer, but I couldn't make it work. But Lily King, let me tell you, that book is fabulous. So... I wanted to ask you about your dedication here. Uh, you dedicate this book to your mother, who you say shared your love of books, and to your father, who told you that you could do anything you set your mind to. Right? Yes. So were books a part of your family growing up? Oh, they were definitely. Yeah. And uh, especially, not just growing up. My mother and I used to go hang out at bookstores mm -hmm. uh, and pile the books on the table and mm. carry them to the cash register and check out. But there's a funny story about the, my father's part. Yeah, tell us. Um, I have three sisters and a brother, and I was talking to them about it. I said, isn't it amazing how Dad used to tell us all, you know, you can do anything you set your mind to. And there was a pause. He never told me that. <laughs> <laughs> All across the board. He never told me that. Never so I can't figure that out. Yeah, but he told you. Maybe they've forgotten. Yeah, but he told you. <laughs> he and, did. And you remembered it. Did he get to read the book? He did not. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to bring it to a close. Uh, but um, I have to tell you, this book has a twist at the end. We won't give it away. we got 25 seconds to leave you with a little scene that has Cass thinking. They'd now been married three years. Phase one of Tidal Flats was over, and she had no idea if they'd ever celebrate this anniversary. May's words, You think it will be forever, a carpet that will never stop unrolling. Cass stared at the photo, only able to see all that separated them, the continents and that endless gray ocean. So... What's going to happen? 
Will Ethan get out of Afghanistan? <laughs> will they be able to bring this marriage off? Uh, will Cass accept him back? You know, things have changed a lot. I did tell you there was a twist, though, at the end that's going to make it even harder for all this to happen. Um, let's, uh, let's give Cindy a hand tonight for this. Uh, good work. Good work. Uh, so, so afterwards here, uh, by the way, uh, on the website, this is going to come out as part of our season six, uh, which will be released between May and August uh, of Charlotte Ridge's podcast. There'll be information uh, in the show notes, uh, links to find out more about Cindy. Uh, there'll be photos from tonight in there. Um, so uh, thanks to everyone for showing up tonight. Uh, cue the music. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to their written words. Next Tuesday, we'll have another in-depth episode with readings and conversations about the written word and the writing life of a local or regional author. But before then, be on the lookout for another Under the Covers episode where we do much the same thing we do here, but quicker, and sometimes away from the studio. Because there are just too many good authors. And not enough time. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And you can keep up with news about the show by joining our email list and engaging with us on social media. We promise not to spam you because, well, that takes too much time. And if you do join our email list, we'll give you a free ebook written by me. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Until next week. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. <laughs>